You're listening to War Dogs Podcast. During the Vietnam War, through the hours of darkness, over 500 sentry dogs and their handlers patrolled along the perimeters of U.S. Air Force bases. These are their stories. Here's your host, Tom Shambo. Hello, I'm your host, Tom Shambo. Thank you for listening. If you're a new listener to the War Dogs Podcast, welcome. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you can be notified when a new episode is posted. Today, we're talking to Bob Berry. Bob was a Fanrang sentry dog handler, served in Fanrang, Vietnam from December of 1967 to August of 1969. Thanks for your service, Bob. Let's get started. When I first got stationed at Davis Monson, I came here as a as a DDA, direct duty assignment. I didn't go to tech school. Um, and when I when I was assigned to security, uh, Davis Monson was a SAC Air Force base at the time. We had um, Titan II missiles here. We had eighteen of them. And what happens is you go out and you, you do security on on the on the Air Force base. But if one of the Titan II um, alarm systems break down, you end up standing guard out there uh, two or three, four, five, six hours at night. Um, and there's 18 different missile sites going down close to Mexico, going close to the north side of Tucson. They were all over, out by Ajo. Um, after a cert- certain time on those, those missile complexes at, at night, you thought, man, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. And I, and I was the rookie. and, and you know you're not going to get in one of them strike force uh, vehicles because you don't have enough time. Um, and I happened to walk into the day room one day um, after being out in the, the website, the complex, and I saw two positions open for canine. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do anything, I might as well do it with the dog. I mean, there's no sense me standing out in the, the cold by myself. You know? um, so I put in for canine, and about three months later, I got I got the job. Um, I ended up uh, going to David, going to Lackland. Uh, I brought our dog back, Max. Uh, brought him back to Davis Monton. Um, had him there. For, I had Max for about six months, seven months at Davis Monton, and I got my uh, first orders to Vietnam. And, and after that, I ended up going to Vietnam. Um, I went to Phan Rang. Um, when I got to Phan Rang. After there, after I was there for about four, five, six days, I ended up getting a dog named Major. I uh, had Major for about four months uh, and found out that Major went deaf. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't listening, wasn't hearing aircraft going over. He wasn't no reaction on a, on a mortar flowing over our head or a mortar crashing down close to us. Um, after that, I ended up with a dog named Scout. I had Scout, but I just, there was no compatibility with Scout. Scout, um, as you know, as a handler, you don't want to be dragging a dog all the time because he doesn't want to come up in front of you. Um, he was just, he, me and him just not get along. I talked to the NCOIC. I had to wait for about a week or two until another a dog came open. And I ended up getting a dog named Fred, uh, A611. And after that, I had my whole time in Vietnam with him. I would... Uh, meet people when I got a chance on the fence line, like everybody else did. Uh, 
you could sit there for 20 or 30 minutes and talk to somebody. And, and I mean, within a reasonable distance of the dogs. Um, and a guy would get up and go take a leak and come back. And Fred would jump at him like he had never seen him before. And he was going to just rip him up, uh, which was which was scary for the other dogs and the other handler because none of the other, none of the other dogs that I knew in the unit did that. Most of the dogs I could get up and I could walk away and I could come back and the dog, whether he'd be sitting, whether he'd be laying, he'd be doing the same thing, but it wasn't like that with Fred. Fred would attack that somebody every time he saw somebody, every time he came after somebody, which was great for me. Psychologically, I felt I had the baddest ass dog in the, in the whole unit and and I was completely comfortable with that. And I understood I had to watch him differently than other handlers did. There was many, many times I had to go back. Unfortunately, as you know, some of the, some of the bunkers we had up by the canine, up by the fence line were like three sandbags tall and three six sandbags around in a little half circle where, where they might've expected you to go if the, if the stuff hit the fan they wanted you and your dog to go behind those little sandbags. That wasn't happening. When I, I was shot at quite a bit over there, and I, and I was very close to being hit numerous times. And and I did go back towards the fence line and towards the tower if there was a tower available. And I always had it in my mind. Um, and the tower guards that I talked to knew at, all shit hits the fan. Um, me and Fred are coming back by that big old bunker. Um, so just so you guys are aware of it, because he wasn't having nobody come near that bunker. He was, he was, he was a great dog, uh, and I was comfortable with him. And the the whole time I was there, and I mean, I, I was there with some great people, great people. I mean, you were there, but you, you were there for a couple months while I was there. I ended up spending eighteen months there, and and I'll tell you why. After my first year, I had come across, there was a couple of times there where, where I almost bought the farm. Uh, on maybe two or three occasions, we, we got some big shootouts that were going on on the fence line and we got the hell out of there. We got back to, the, to, the, to where the towers were, to where the road was. Um, on three or four occasions, Tom, there was one or two that, that we shot up quite a bit because of some some coming in the fence line probably six or seven months into my tour i i got to see something that i shot um and, and i don't know how other guys handled it but i threw up all over the damn place um it was the next morning on one of those those sweeps they would send us through um uh you you you, you know you shot at somebody and you're pretty sure you hit somebody but you don't know till that next morning. Uh, and then you don't know if you were the only one that shot that, that person. Uh, and it was two or three that were shot that night. But when you go up and you look at them and, and, you, uh, and you get to see what happens, um, I don't know about a lot of other guys threw up all over the damn place. I got involved in a couple of other firefights while I was there over the 18 month period um, where, where I saw guys that were shot up pretty good was it me psychologically thinking that i wasn't the one that hit him i know i shot that way maybe somebody else some other guys shot that way too so you look at it a little bit different and say well somebody else got this one i didn't get this one 
and I and I didn't have the same reaction. Maybe because of of things that happened, I, I got I see seen where where, where uh, APC was was fired at and 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 a, a hand grenade was thrown inside and four guys were killed. Uh, after that, it didn't matter to me who the hell I shot. It, it, that didn't it. Your life changes, you know. Um, you get to that I'm going home uh, mentality, and I had that mentality. But I had fabulous guys with me. Um, you know, I real close with, within five or six months after I was there, I had two guys come, uh, Denny Aho, and I had uh, Tommy Caputo, who came from Davis Mountain with me. They were they were there after I got there. Um, so I and I felt more comfortable knowing those guys were there. But I had great guys. I had I had Bill Bowling. I had Ed Butcher. I had you I were there. I had Carl Adams. I had Frank Cassini, who ended up being from Pennsylvania with, with me. Uh, Bob Dragich and Mike Wolford. Uh, Chris Falvey, Gentry, uh, Holly, who was involved in that incident where he shot a couple of rocks at the strip gate. Uh, John James was a guy. He was there probably with you most of the time. When I met James, um, <laughs> I thought he was a crazy son of a gun. He had he had married a woman from there. He had yeah. gone back to the United States and he came back to live there. Um, I, at the time, I thought, "Wow, you you're a crazy son of a bitch." But you know, you get to understand how they how they did what they did, why they did it. Um, probably the most shocking thing of my whole tour over there was Joel Loftus. Uh, when Joel Loftus got killed at the barracks, he was sitting outside writing a letter to his wife, and we were in the barracks. Uh, and he was on a chair at the end of the barracks, out, right outside the door. Uh, and two rockets hit. And one hit at the, at the mail room across the street from our barracks. And one hit right outside where he was. And I mean, what, what a wonderful young kid. I mean, just a, just a fabulous, fabulous kid. And it, it, to see him in that position was just, it was just horrible. Um, so... It ended up, I, I, I really had some, with Bob Mays and, and others, I had some fabulous relationships. When I, when I got to be close to my end of my tour, I still had two and a half, almost two years to go in the Air Force. Uh, I had put in for a dream sheet for Arizona and for Wright-Patterson, um, and, and they gave me, Oken, or they gave me uh, uh, Clark Air Force Base. And I thought, what the hell do I want to go to Clark Air Force Base when I just had spent a year in Vietnam? I don't want to go to another country. Uh, I want to, I want to go home, or I want to stay here, uh, and then go home and put in another forecast. And that's what I did. I got to do my get my my thirty days to go home. Uh, I came back for thirty days. It, it wasn't easier coming back but it was mentally, it was coming back. I was coming back for a shorter period of time. So I, that, that psychologically, and I was going back to my, at that time, they were my family, those guys. Uh, and most of those guys were still there. Um, there was a tremendous battle that took place while I was on leave that I didn't, wasn't involved in. Um, and it was mind boggling to hear what happened while I was gone, when, when the base was attacked quite a bit. Um, it, it seemed during tech, it was nightly. We got something. We got a rocket or two. We got, we had 
trip flares going off on one side of the base, if not the other. Um, I was extremely lucky after about 10 months, 11 months in country, uh, myself and, and Dragage and Mays, we got to post the other handlers. Um, so we would go to the kennels at night, we'd get, we'd get the deuce and a half, we'd take them out, one would go one way, we'd post, and we'd post the other guys the other side of the base, and we'd come back and we would, we would be able to get our dogs and walk out to our posts. Um, there was a, an incident where a couple of guys in canine uh, unfortunately lost it. Uh, they threatened to shoot people. They threatened to shoot their dogs. Uh, they ended up going going to LBJ. Uh, they just lost their minds. You know, and there was a lot of guys that 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 um, they changed a whole bunch. They changed a lot. They I don't. And I don't necessarily mean they matured. I mean, they just, they hardened. They got, uh, they, they weren't the same guys that, that came there. But you know what? They were the same loyal guys that you wanted every night of the week. If, if, you, if you got a day off, and for that first year, you didn't get a lot of days off. Um, maybe every 60 days you'd get a day off, or every 50 days you'd get a day off. Um, uh, and you'd, you'd party like hell. And by the time you got sober again, it was time to go back to work again. Uh, but uh, but those going back, it wasn't as bad the second time because I knew those guys were there and I knew those guys had, had my back. Um, yeah, you know, the strike teams, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of involvement with a lot of strike teams other than the nights that, you, that the shit hit the fan. Um, and then you would call. And then we had these guys after you left, we had these guys that came from the States that manned the tower. The towers are a very interesting thing. A lot of people don't realize. I think a lot of people forgot to tell the tower guards that we were in front of them. Um, you know, I know a lot of guys, I, I never smoked till I got to Vietnam. And I think I started out of boredom. But I know a lot of guys that were on the fence line and they would light a cigarette up. And, and, and you could hear that, that 60 being, cranked up saying, you know, they, and then they would yell, somebody's on the fence line, somebody's on the fence line. And probably half of the time it was a dog handler and nobody told them that dog handler was out in front of them. They were augmentees, uh, you know, God, God bless them. They were cooks during the day or they were mechanics or they were, they, they did some other job and, and all of a sudden they're out on the tower and I understand their fear. They got they, they're looking down and they probably could see, you know, quite a bit of distance and they see this little light show up or maybe you're cooking with your dog, you're cooking your sea rations and stuff. And, uh, and all of a sudden, some dog handlers had a couple of shots popped at them, you know, and you would hear them come over the radio with a, with a pretty strong acknowledgement that if you shoot another round this way, I'm going to blow that tower away, you know, um, and, and, so that, yeah, you, but being out there alone, you, with that dog, he, 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 the dog is so much, so much of, of your life and you're so much of your security. That's why I felt so much better with Fred. I knew he wasn't, he wasn't all there. Um, he did get a couple of bites. Um, yeah, but I, you talk about the strike teams. Most of the strike teams realize that if 
that if I turned Fred loose, they they were not really they they were not safe either because he was going to eat whatever he could eat. Um, and they used to they used to let me tell me if you let that son of a gun loose, Jesus, please tell us because because we got to go up the tower. We got we got to get the hell out of here. You know, that was all right with me. You know, um, but but then it, it's funny I. I got I got to come home and 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 you feel guilty going home if you're with the guy, same guys there you know because um, you know Dragage uh, and Wolford um, and I think Denny Aho uh, I think there was about five or six of us that did, did eighteen months at the time I did uh, maybe maybe a few more um, I think Carl was there eighteen months yeah. Um, so the guys, after 18 months, you, you, you get to go home and you're all excited about getting to go home. And, and, but you know, those four guys are still gonna be there, you know? Um, and uh, and what, what was good with me, I was, I was, I guess I was learning on lucky ones. I get to go home. I get to go home to a great town. I went home to my hometown was Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, there was no booze. There was no yells. There was no nothing. They accepted you like, like you were a war hero. I mean, they just, uh, you were one of them and, and, and they were so proud of you and everything else. You got to go home for your 30 days. And then I go back to Davis Mountain Air Force Base, which was a real oddity. Um, I ended up going back to where I came from. Um, I went into K-9. I was still in K-9. However, everybody had transitioned to patrol dogs. Um, so I was there for maybe three weeks, four weeks. My sergeant sent me back to Lackland. I had to go to a refresher course for patrol dogs because every time I was handling, had a hold of a leash, I, I had that leash up close to me because I'm thinking this fool's going to eat somebody up and I'm going to end up getting in a lot of trouble. Uh, so I had to reacclimate to, to the patrol dog um, unit. Um, I worked there for a while, for about, I, I got back in, in August uh, of 69, um, so it was on September when I probably ended up at DM again. Uh, I went back into K-9, we worked a little bit on, on, on patrol on, on the base and stuff, but here's what happened, Tom. I, I, I got a fabulous, I lucked out a lot. Um, I met, a, I met a sergeant or, a, or an officer from the Pima County Sheriff's Department. Uh, he wanted, our, our NCOIC made, a, made an arrangement where we would go to uh, one of the, the malls in Tucson, Elkhorn Mall, and they had a, they had a uh, law enforcement week. And they brought people from, from DM, they brought the canine, we brought canine units to put on some demos they had TPD there. They had the Pima County Sheriff's Office there. Uh, and we, we were there for four days and put on demos. And, and it was really neat. And I got to meet um, a guy named Jim Rose from, from the Pima County Sheriff's Department. Uh, and I got to meet some of the guys from TPD. At that time, TPD had, I think they had about three or four dogs. But two of them were bomb dogs. And they were actually, they actually belonged to the FAA out of the airport. The airport had preference on those dogs, but TPD was allowed to use them. And if they had any any bomb dog use in, in TPD, they could. Um, 
And we, we shot the bow a lot. Well, about a, two or three months after that, uh, I hear that you can put in for a three month early out if you were going into law enforcement. Um, so I did, I put in for Tucson Police Department. Um, I, I, go to the, I go to the physical and everything was fabulous. I go to the aura board and my aura board didn't go too good. Um, I was at, there was a Lieutenant there and a Sergeant and an officer. Um, the first couple of questions they asked me, you know, why do you want to be a cop general questions like that. Um, the next question, this Lieutenant asked me, and probably only the third question in the aura board was why do you, why do you, uh, or did you, have you ever stolen anything? And I said, no, never have. And he, he stood up, um, typical aura board stuff and said, uh, you mean he never took anybody a pencil off somebody in school or something like that? Me being a young GI who was a wise ass said uh, only left unless they were smaller than me, right? He terminated my overboard, right? Uh, so what I did, I called this guy from the sheriff's office, um, and he really showed a lot of interest in canine. So I called him and told him what happened. I said, "You guys hiring at all?" And he said, "Oh yeah." He said, we're hiring. He said, did you take your state test? I said, yeah. And I took my written tests and uh, took my physical test. At that time, Tucson Police Department and the Sheriff's Department were combined in the same academy. So he said, he said um, I'm going to have you come down. I want to have you talk to our chief deputy and the sergeant from the, the academy. I go in there for an oral board. All they talked about was canine. They wanted dogs. They wanted a dog in it. And I thought, wow, this is great. Uh, and I ended up going to, to the police academy with the, with the sheriff's department. Unfortunately, here's what happens. This is in 1970, in July of 1970. I go to the academy during the day and they wanted me to train four canines in the evening. That went on for 18 weeks because it was just a, a part-time thing. We go on for 18 weeks I get them fully trained, fully certified for canine units. The sheriff at the time decides that my, at graduation, he doesn't want any canines. So the canine program was scrubbed. I end up being an officer. Uh, I'm on patrol. I go into detectives after about three and a half years. I'm approached uh, in, in, in two, uh, 1976. I'm approached by a major on the department. And he says, uh, I understand you trained some dogs for the department a long time ago. I said, yeah. He said, but the old sheriff didn't want uh, dogs. He said, well, the new sheriff wants dogs. Because at that time, TPD had probably six or seven dogs and the sheriff's office didn't have any. Um, we kept the okay. Uh, myself, I have another handler that was, was a deputy, Bill Burney. Uh, he was an Air Force dog handler, and I had another guy who was just interested in dogs. They authorized the three of us. Uh, I did the training. That was in 1976. Uh, we trained three dogs. They gave us, um, I had about 12 and a half weeks to train the dogs. They gave us cars, and that was the start of our canine unit. And I mean, it worked out beautiful. Uh, by the time I left, Almost five years later, I decided it was time for me to go. Um, by the time I left, we had 
seven dogs. We had two bomb dogs. We had three drug dogs. And the drug dogs, were, of course, were cross-trained as patrol dog handlers, patrol dogs. And I think right now they have about 11 or 12 dogs on that same unit on the same sheriff's office. So I was, the way I transferred into transferred into civilian life as a handler, just everything came out of what I did in the Air Force. I mean, it wasn't, even the people I met while I was in the Air Force were the ones that hired me to be a deputy and, and hired me to, to train their dogs for the department. Um, I have a, a son-in-law who just got out of the, the canine unit. He was in there for quite a few years. Um, I have I have another ex-son-in-law who was a captain who was in charge of the canine unit for quite a few years. So, I mean, uh, the, the experience is, is fabulous. Um, I got one more story for you, Tom, and, and it, you're going to love it. Um, Larry Fustini. You know Larry Fustini? I know, yeah, I do know Larry. Yeah, yeah, the, name, the name pops around. Let me tell you what happened. I'm on, I'm on a website for canines one time, and I'm on a lot of websites for canines, but I'm on a website for canines, and up pops Fred, my, the dog that I had. And it uh, unfortunately, it showed how he passed away. He died from red tongue in 1972, I believe it was. But there's a notation underneath that. Uh, and I put, I had this dog in Vietnam. And then there's a notation underneath that of a, of a guy who pops up and says, uh, I had Fred and I brought him to Vietnam and handled him in Vietnam. And I, at Phan Rang. And I said, wow. Well, I ended up meeting Larry Fustini. He came through Tucson uh, and I ended up meeting him for breakfast and we had it. We had a great time and we still keep in touch. But here's the funny thing about it. He actually had Fred at Davis Mountain before I was stationed at Davis Mountain. And he was there and he left probably about six months before I got to Davis Mountain. He left the canine unit there and he went to Fan Rang. And then he was at Fan Rang and he had left Fan Rang about two or three months before I got to Fan Rang. And then about four months, five months later after I was there, I ended up picking up that same dog. And we were both from, from Davis Mountain. How, how, how fabulous is that, huh? Uh, That's crazy, yeah, because Larry uh, got a hold of me and, and uh, we've done breakfast and lunch a couple of times also. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a great guy, great guy. Yeah. But I've come up across so many great dog handlers. Uh, Bill Cummings. Bill Cummings is Bill Cummings is one of my one of my heroes. I mean, Bill Cummings ended up he took my dog over when I went to Vietnam. He took over Max at Davis Mountain. Uh, we were extremely close friends, extremely close friends, and we still are extremely close friends. Um, but he ended up being a, a Maryland Street Trooper. And then he came back to Tucson and we go, we were back in touch again. Uh, me and him and his wife. I mean, I was with him the night he met his wife. I mean, it, wow. but they're all, and it's all connected with, with, with when we had our breakfast a couple of times, there was a guy there who, who was a dispatcher for the sheriff's office that I never even knew was in canine. And he was an army dog handler. You know, I mean, you just, uh, and I'll tell you another strange story about canine. And it just it it just never stops. 
19, uh, in 2002, I applied for a job at uh, the Tucson Unified School District. And I had retired from the sheriff's office in the prison. I put in for a job as a, a truancy officer. And there was three, there was three guys on my oral board, two captains and, a, and the, the, the guy, the head guy and the chief. The chief had been in Vietnam. He was in the army. He was there when we, when I was there. And when, when you were there, he was in the army. He was great. The other guy was, was a captain uh, on the department. And he said, my, my name is Phil Mason. And I said, oh, hi, Phil. I said, no. Phil Mason was a dog handler in the Air Force. And he was stationed at Van Ring after I left. He was there about a year and a half after I left. He was at Van Ring and he knew, you know, he knew some of the guys, not very many, but he knew all the dogs. Probably did dragage. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, he knew dragage. Yeah, yeah. And he uh, he just ended up retiring from, from school safety. But it's amazing how many people you could get in touch with and, and keep in contact with, you know? Um, Having that thing at the end of the leash that everybody says is just a dog, not just a dog. No, I mean, that's a lifeline. Uh, and, and once you realize that, it's a whole different world, you know. Uh, and I don't see much difference between what I did with Fred uh, or what I did with, with Willie, my, my civilian dog. Uh, the devotion is just the same. I mean, it's just, uh, and first, at the sheriff's office, starting from scratch with a dog in it, we had to build our own little things in the back seat for them. Uh, we had to do our own vet care. We ended up going. With, they get they gave us a contract with Valley Animal Hospital, uh, rabies control out in the, the west side. They provided us all our food and everything else because it was a skimpy budget they gave us, you know. But you know, it started and now they have a fabulous unit. You and I connected uh, that way. I started the police dog uh, center in Rapid City, South Dakota. Uh -huh. When I got on the police department, uh, the first thing I suggested is we create a dog unit. Uh -huh. We went through the riots that way, the Rapid City flood that way. Uh -huh. I used them for a lot of stuff. And, oh, and yeah. I, like you said, I mean, you become, he becomes part of you when you count okay. on him. And we got a lot of use out of them at Tucson because we used them for search and rescue. We used them for SWAT. We used them for, we used them for demos. Uh, you'd be surprised how much PR a department could get out of those dogs. Um, you know, when we started, it was sentry dogs. Uh, they ate whatever you told them to eat. Uh, and they were, there was no fear in that animal at all. On the patrol dog, you get, and I understand that my loyalty is with sentry dog, but but patrol dogs, you can get so much more use out of them. I mean, they're just uh, the community is just. And you know what? If you if you talk to the community, especially as a handler, the community loves it. Loves having those dogs. They really do. They love that you can put them in a in a in, in a kindergarten class or a first grade class, and those kids just love that dog. But then you go out in the playground and you do a demo for them. They say, oh, my God, that's like turning a switch on and off. You know? uh, and it, and it, it's a fabulous job. Um, I recommend it to anybody. <laughs> Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening to War Dogs Podcast.
Don't forget to subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review as I always love feedback from our listeners. Have a great day.